0: Welcome, guys, to another uh, episode of A Community of Culture, The Hispanic Perspective, on Wednesday, October 15th, actually the last day of Hispanic Heritage Month, so uh, that's, that's actually kind of cool. Um, I'm your host, Otis Tavagawa, and with me I have...
1: Nicole Barrios, the assistant news editor.
0: Keeson
2: Ramirez, sports editor. Ernesto Macias, the assistant trends editor.
3: And I'm Olivia Garcia, an opinions col- columnist from Star.
0: Yeah, and, and uh, we're missing Ray. Ray had some things to do for KTSW, so um, he's going to sit this one out. But Ernest is here this week with us, so that's always, that's always great. He's quite the uh, character, we like to say here at the Star. So uh, he's going to be a great representation for the Hispanic community and the LGBTQIA community as well. So uh, that'll, that'll, be, that'll be really good. Um, but one thing that we're talking about in this episode is immigration. Uh, immigration is is something that you know we live in the state of texas it's something that uh we deal with every day and olivia uh from a border town kind of tell everybody what uh border town you're from and kind of expand on how immigration might have affected your family or people around you in your community
3: well i grew up in brownsville texas it's a right across the border from Matamoros, mexico and um Immigration is actually a really complicated issue for me because I saw it on the daily. I saw people sneaking over, smuggling over, whatever. Um, And uh, as far as relating to them, I don't really have a relation to them, but I can feel for them because I had friends and family members and other people who um, had other family members come over across and they just want to have a better life. You know, you feel for these people, you know, having to go through all these means to try to just become an American and tr- uh, through America instead of trying to go through the actual process because you know for reasons that it's too difficult or whatnot and uh, it, you know it, but it is a distraction it, it is something that you do see on the daily in a border town and it is um, distracting seeing border patrol men chasing uh, immigrants and uh, it's it's just a very very complicated issue that not a lot of people understand
4: talk about Controversial subjects. I think you look at the top five. Uh, immigration certainly on there. Uh, very spread out. A lot of stories from people, uh, immigrants from Cuba. Just a whole sprawl of people coming to try to better their lives, and it. The United States seems a little hesitant to let some of them in. You know, they've pushed them back, or they really, you know, put a stigma on them. That it's unfortunate because these people are in situations where they're trying to better their lives and they really need to live in the United States for just, you know, anything, and the jobs they're going to take anyway are jobs that a lot of people, middle-class people especially, won't take, so they're providing services, and they're actually being productive people, and we kind of shut them out, and it's definitely unfortunate.
1: Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that, Kiesom. Um I think the United States is a melting pot, and that's something that you know, all Americans, I think, repeatedly say, oh, it's a melting pot, it's a melting pot. But then when certain types of immigrants try to try to come, they automatically say, well, you're not welcome here. You're not one of us. And I think that maybe makes Americans seem like hypocrites because we say we're a melting pot. And we really, all of us who consider ourselves, quote unquote, Americans, are immigrants. Um, we were not born here. We're either immigrants from Europe or, um, you know. Other, other places, and mostly Europe. And the only natives are real Native Americans. And so who are we to say you were not welcome here when we were those people, you know, decades ago?
2: I think, it's, I think that's the biggest issue right now in this country, um, coming to the terms that there isn't a single definition for American. I think we, we need to come to terms with the fact that being American goes beyond skin color goes beyond where your parents are from goes beyond you know anything that really makes like it just it just goes so there's so many things that connect with each other when it comes to being american that i can't really put my finger down on something that says oh my god this is what truly makes me american i think what tr- to me what truly makes an american is believing in freedom and accepting the melting pot idea and i think a lot of people have a lot of issues with accepting that and i mean You can see it every day. I mean, we say we accept everyone, but then we seclude and erase so many, you know, parts of the community, which is where immigration, like, really just is so apparent.
0: Yeah, and it's something that is, you know, it is a hot topic. And something that Olivia uh, said, um, you know, when she was talking is that she doesn't really relate to them you guys uh ernest kesem nicole you guys feel like you you kind of relate to them in a sense uh having family maybe from mexico or family uh from there in that area
4: i don't relate to them because i've never been in that position Uh, i've been fortunate enough to be in a situation where i never needed to you know come over here and better my life but i i empathize with them i see that they are struggling and they're in a dire position and that they really are in their last chance and the united states is like a beacon of hope a beacon of uh freedom and that this is kind of their last chance and it's a shame that we shut them out or we go okay you're not american when really it's the funny thing about being american is that there is no unified definition to being american and being american is being a person uh being american is being everything and these people definitely belong in that definition. And when you shut them out, it alienates the rest of the country and it makes us look like we are not the welcoming country that we really strive to be. And while I don't relate with them, I I certainly empathize. I think it's kind of,
2: well, it's intriguing to me that people say that you can't relate to immigrants because at the core, they're humans. I mean, and how can you not relate with a human that's struggling? I mean, mean, personally, my family has had... Um, a long history since my grandfather he like came to the United States when he was very young to work, and then you know the whole process of sending money to his family. He ended up being back in Mexico, and then eventually my family started roots here in Mexico. And this is how, I am mean, here in the United States, and that's how I, you know, came to be an American citizen and grow up my all my life here. I've never had you know the the disgrace of having to be separated from my family in terms of not being able to go to Mexico or coming back. But I definitely can relate and feel the struggle and the pain because, I mean, we're human at its core. And I just I just find it kind of intriguing if you could, like, you say you empathize, but you cannot relate. It's like when someone has a big issue, a big struggle, we all come together and we support them. So why is it so different to, like, for someone that's trying to cross a border, which wasn't even, it was human created. Like, it wasn't even supposed to be there in the first place. How? Why can't we, you know, accept the fact that it's just a struggle and it's not an immigration struggle? It's a human struggle. I mean, I, I, I feel like I get it. I just don't understand not being able to relate. Does that make sense in a way?
1: I think I get what you're saying. I think maybe, Otis, you mean when you say do you relate to these guys, maybe do you – are you saying, like, do we see ourselves in these people? Like, do yeah. we see a reflection you of you ourselves? See,
0: do you see a reflection of yourself? Do yeah. you see – um, you know, a reflection of family members. Do you, I mean, okay. do you relate to them in all aspects, not yeah. just one aspect yeah. of of going into? Yeah, it?
1: I guess that makes me I guess answering your question, Ernest, I think I I relate to them in a certain aspect. I don't necessarily see myself or my family members mm-hmm. in them, but <laughs> like Kiesum, I do empathize. But and I do realize that it is a universal struggle that you know our ancestors, like of European descent, came and mm-hmm. were immigrants themselves. And um, face those challenges as well But I guess since I don't have any um, I'm not in contact with my my Hispanic family um, Just my my white family um, I don't really relate to them But I do Empathize, Mm. if that makes sense
2: No, I I guess it's just a question And clarification
3: Yeah, I mean, I agree When I see someone When I did see someone cross the border It was, you know Like, I could relate because I was like, you know, that could have been an uncle or or cousin or someone that I didn't know. But I like I said, um, my family has been here for two generations. And I mean, someone along the line of my family crossed over the border, you know, whether they did that illegally or legally, I still don't know. But it could have very definitely been someone like my great grandma crossing uh, the river, swimming the river. And that would be extremely empathetic to that. So, yeah
4: the, the trickle-down effect from immigration, it affects us all, really, um, if, if, you know, if we're not involved in immigration directly. It affects us in the way that when people start lumping jobs together, they start saying that Hispanics only are janitors, Hispanics only do this, Hispanics only do the nitty-gritty th- jobs, the trash collectors, the jobs that we don't. But in that reality, we really do a lot more. Uh, we're capable of doing any job that any other person is, and it's it's also it affects us in that way that, you know, hey, you're Hispanic, you're going to do this when in reality we can be journalists, we can be policemen, we can be firemen, uh, we can be politicians, uh, we mm-hmm. can be much more than the stereotypical thing. And when you shut those people out, you're leaving a lot of potential, uh, a lot of potential to improve the country. And people fail to realize that they think, oh, we don't need more janitors or trash collectors when, hey, this person could really be valuable. You give him education. You give them a house, you give them opportunity, and hey, this person could blossom. And that's really an important part of immigration that we haven't uh, addressed yet.
2: I think that stigma comes with the fact that immigration, the word immigration, has such a bad and taboo, even in our time where nothing should be taboo because everything is open to discussion. Mm -hmm. It has such a bad connotation when you use it in conversations. I mean, you, you pull out that word and people just... Like their claws come out. It's, I mean, and that's where the stigma comes. Like, you're an immigrant. Oh, you, your, your options are limited as to what you can do, and you know, it's, it's really. I mean, it's just, it baffles my mind that it, it, that's what happens just because your family comes from, immigrant roots or immigration.
1: Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. Um, I think, and it's sad that there's a stigma, and everybody knows there's a stigma, but I think that we Americans put that stigma on the immigrants. The immigrants aren't limiting themselves because they, you know, they came over here and they took that leap of faith and it's sad that we put limits on them because there may be a language barrier or there may be a, a you know, lack of education, but that's just because they're new to this system and this society and I think that if we offered them you know resources like language classes and and things like that they would like kison said elevate and it's not that we're giving them houses or we're giving them anything because when they come over here they know they're going to work for everything and my best friend is from cuba and her father like you said your grandfather her father came here from cuba and sent them money back while he worked job after job and um he used to be a, a college graduate and a teacher back in cuba but here that diploma didn't translate and so he couldn't get a job and i think that's just crazy that you know we limit immigrants so much when they're already so qualified and we don't recognize that just because we have that negative stigma
3: yeah i think americans who um say you know they're taking our jobs they're uh they're uh, having we have to pay taxes for their kids that co- that are born here stuff like that i think they're honestly really ignorant about the fact mm-hmm. because um in reality like ernest said we are all human to the core they have a family to provide for they have people to take care of and that's at the end of the day that's all we're all trying to do is take care of ourselves and take care of our loved ones so why can't they do that and why do they have mm-hmm. to have a stigma like that it's it's just a very ignorant response when people say that
1: no definitely
0: and we're <clears throat> we're going to talk about jobs too a little bit a little bit later too in the show. But you know, something you guys talk about is limits and stigmas and stuff. Well, it seems like the state of Arizona didn't quite get that memo as well with the new law they have. You know, with um, uh, with um, Hispanics, like if you look Hispanic or if you whatever, they can on the spot ask you for a green card and. I'm going to get a little humorous there, here in a little bit, but who, like, who carries a green card on them? Like, I don't, I don't think people are like, hey, I'm going to take my green card with me while I, like, you know, or your visa, like, that stuff doesn't occur to people like that. Like, you're going to put it in a secure place, so that way you don't lose it, so that way they won't accuse you for being illegal. So, you know, the state of Arizona has, um, has that law. Um, obviously, people have their feelings about it. But Olivia, I remember you telling us a story about uh, your sister and, and kind of, you know that law kind of taking effect with uh with her
3: yeah um that Arizona law really feels like a step backwards in our society it's just ridiculous I mean uh my sister what happened with her is that she was driving with her husband in Arizona and they uh got pulled over and the officer immediately you know questioned my sister questioned who she was questioned everything about her and she was like, hey, I'm a U.S. citizen. I have my ID. I have my birth certificate. I have my social security card. What do you want from me? You know, it's 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 like you don't need to purposely do that to people who, of color. It seriously feels like we're taking a huge step back with something like that.
4: It's, uh, it's an elitist mindset. Uh, elitist mindset in the sense that we're Americans. We're middle-aged. We're white. We're wealthy. We're going to really come down hard on the Hispanics that – may or may not be citizens and we're gonna make laws that really in actuality don't abide by the constitution and like she said major step back in human rights and just human decency um there's a lot to be said and it's when you make a law like that you're inviting controversy you're inviting a lot of pushback uh, a lot of people saying that this is wrong and rightly so um can you imagine if we had laws for asians and everyone else just like it, it it would be it'd be a huge topic and in Arizona not the case and just just very frustrating as a fellow Hispanic for sure
2: it's such an insult I think um first of all how do you, like, did they come up with guidelines as to who looks Hispanic? Like, I mean, because just sitting in this yeah. room, there's four of us that are Hispanic, and... I can be
0: technically... There's a lot of Hispanics, Latinos that yeah. are black as me, so... Yeah. You exactly. know, I, You know, and then there are some that are very white skin, too, because sometimes people generalize and say, hey, you uh, know, you're just white, it's like, no... Nah. Just
2: in this room, there's, like, four shades of skin, yeah. like, I mean, it's... Yeah. And there's... We're only four. Can you imagine? Like, so... I don't know, I just think it's such an insult to everything that America stands for. And the fact that people allow this to become a law is just not even... I can't, like, wrap my mind around it or not even begin to understand the process of thinking to create this law. Yeah,
1: and we have songs that say, you know, I'm proud to be an American because at least I know I'm free. But how are you free when you can walk down the street and a cop can ask you, are you here legally? Where's your residence card? You know what I mean? Like, like, is that called freedom? I don't think so. When they question my, like, validity of this is my birthplace and this is my actual home when I've had no other home, you know what I mean? So I just don't, I don't see how that can even be legal. And I get that they're, you know, the proximity to the border in Arizona, but they don't go up to... You know, white people with blonde hair and blue eyes and say, Are you a Russian immigrant? Are you a Swedish immigrant? Where is your green card? Where is your visa? And I think if they're going to put laws out there that, you know, racially profile people, that it should be at least equal to (laughs) everyone of every race. um, It's just not supposed to target one specific type of person and one specific look, and it does, and that's wrong.
4: Uh, And I, now that I we're talking about it, it just popped up. Uh, I have a story uh, about a guy. He told me how over the summer, this is a while ago, he worked outside a lot and he was a white, he's a white male. And he was exposed in the sun working eight, nine hour days for two, three months. And he probably became really tan. So when he was driving a can't remember where but he was pulled over california he was pulled over and he the guy the police officer drives up to his car and he goes uh starts speaking spanish and he's looking at him and he's like do you not speak it and he's like no uh white guy blue eyes but since he looked tan he kind of had that hispanic look and that that story illustrates just the the profiling that we still deal with every day and it's it's insane that someone can be tan and then be subject it's not in the grand scheme of things uh being spoken spanish and assuming that they know it not a huge deal because it's just but it illustrates the whole the whole fact that we have this arizona law and why it's just not a very good law at all
0: do you guys think lawmakers why do you think lawmakers allowed this law to be passed because to my understanding it's breaking a lot of civil rights laws it's it's unconstitutional i think there's a law there's a lot of national federal laws that go against it so in your mind why do you think arizona allowed this kind of law to be passed because surely there's got to be hispanic lawmakers in this in the state of arizona there you know it's a big big hispanic community in arizona so you know my thought process is why
3: i think it's a lot of ignorance again like what i said um they just want to keep people out, keep uh, immigrants out, keep anybody from the Hispanic uh, heritage out. And uh, I just think it also goes back to not enough Hispanics fighting for their rights. You know, um, like Kesum said, it's just like, it's, it's like, where are we? Where, why aren't we fighting for this? You know, why aren't more Hispanics, you know, coming up and, and fighting for themselves? It's like when something like that were to happen... Um, in in any kind of other race, other people would make a huge, a huge, huge fight about it, and they would they would talk about it and talk about how racially discriminating that is. But no one backed the Hispanics up, and that was just actually more shocking to me than the actual laws that no one said anything about that.
0: That you know, when I think about immigration and I think about the Hispanic community and how laws like these get passed, blacks have Al Sharpton have Jesse Jackson. They have the NAACP. I don't want to generalize and say Caucasians have a certain person, but you know, you have guys on the radical right, Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity they have, you know, Fox News, you know, uh, backs them up. Do you think the lack of an Hispanic spokesperson or a lack of a like I don't want to say famous person, but like a well-known Hispanic is causing things like this to get passed?
2: I definitely think so. Lack of leadership is something that our community needs desperately. I mean, we need another Cesar Chavez. We need someone that leads. We need, and we're all waiting for that someone to appear and step up, and we just, we're waiting. We're not actively doing it. we're We're all responsible. We're just, we're talking about this, we complain about it, but we feel like we can't do anything.
0: Why? I mean, why do you, why do you feel like? I mean, it's it's
2: because of laws like these that try to instill fear, and they're they're I mean, they're very successful. I mean, I, although we may not feel that we're afraid, I mean, they're trying to instill fear in the community. Like, don't come to our state. Don't don't look a certain way, or you're going to be stopped by the law. Like, it's basically telling you that if you are Hispanic or you look a certain way, you're breaking the law, in a really political, diffused way. So I think. That fear is what is stopping a community from revolting in a certain way.
3: I think we definitely need leaders, like Ernest said. We just, we're, we're waiting for someone, but it actually makes me really proud to be part of Texas State University and seeing the Hispanic community here. Um, I can tell that that's going to change. I already know with our generation, it's changing. With all the people that I've worked with, the people here at the STAR, um, it's so diverse, and we're so accepting, and it's, it's amazing that this is starting now. I guess it's a generational gap. I guess maybe the older generation just doesn't want to push those buttons, but I think our generation is ready to do that.
4: Can you, just the way I think about it, can you imagine if we had a, f- a person like Barack Obama uh, that Hispanic face that you associate with being Hispanic—that would—that would change the game. Uh, you look at Obama. You look at the perception of blacks. Not that they've changed drastically, but you see people go, "Oh, okay, a black person can be president. A black person can do that. Oh, a black person can be a CEO." If you get that person, that uh, Hispanic face—I mean, you have you have a couple politicians already, but not the pool like of Obama has or someone like that, that changes the game. And that's really all you need. And easier said than done. People like that don't come around very often. But the Hispanic has been alienated because they just don't have that. And until we get that, it's going to be tough to, you know, see Hispanics in the same light as whites and everyone else. And that's, that's really all we need.
0: Yeah, and I I think that's really interesting. You say that about Barack Obama. You need people that are polarizing. I, I think of Eric Holder. He was a first African American Attorney General of the country. And you, and you think about certain things. And I think part of the reason why I think, especially with like the Black Cause, is that I think. Because of the history as well with this country and how big of a deal it was that people kept making out of it, that's part of the reason it has that kind of traction. But because uh, the, you know, we talked about this, the Al Sharptons and Rush Limbaugh's and those figures, you know, in the community. I was just wondering, I was thinking, man, maybe if the Hispanic community, Latino community had a polarizing figure like that, a lot of these things would change. And and one of the things that uh, is jobs. I really do think if there was more of a leader um, in the Hispanic community or there was more jobs, so it would definitely be somewhere where you would see the shift, the focus. Because, you know, everyone stereotypes and generalizes, well, you're Hispanic, so you must have been a janitor or you must clean other people's houses or you're in construction or you're doing this and you're doing that, which isn't the case. And I know that, you know, some of us kind of wanted to talk about, you know, job diversity in the Hispanic community and why, you know, Hispanics can be the president of the United States one day and can be an attorney general.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think um, when I think at least locally of Hispanic leaders that come to mind, I think Leticia Vandepute and Julian Castro. And I wonder... Okay so they're here you know at the state level when will they move up to the national level and i hope that that day does come because then that will open up you know more doors for us people will see us more prominently in those jobs will come
0: and Julian Castro has moved up you know he's a secretary yeah, he of the, the housing of urban development you know exactly. he just got that upgrade and a lot of people think that if Hillary Clinton runs he's going to be the vice presidential mm-hmm. candidate with her so uh yeah that's a great great name to drop was uh, yeah. uh Julian Castro mm-hmm.
2: the the Castro brother their their story is just I mean they're really I don't know why they're not more prominent in our community but they truly yeah. are an inspired, earnest an inspirational story for Hispanic families, culture everywhere. They are um, whoever does another story should look it up and just learn from it, because it really goes to show that just because you are, you come from a place where you have practically nothing, you can end up being everything that you wanted to be and more. And I don't think that having those figures is going to definitely solve our problem, but it'll yeah. definitely, definitely make a big difference from the limitations that. country sets on immigrants it'll definitely just open the doors to those little kids thinking although my parents are immigrants I can one day be the president of the United States you know I can be I can be I can have my own office I can have my own business I can be a teacher I can be whatever I want and I think a lot of kids right now that are living in those situations don't see beyond what their eyes can see and I think that is a big issue.
1: Exactly. And having leaders, like you said, it won't solve our problems, but we will solve our problems. And to get that motivation, like you said, Mm -hmm. those leaders will give people motivation and kind of like encouragement and maybe assurance that, you know, someone forged the path. At least one person did it. So I can't die.
0: Yeah, and and you know something that you talk about is the Castro uh, brothers—they do have an incredible story, they really do. But something that my mama used to always tell me is not the name that they call you, it's the name that you answer by. And if you think about the Castro brothers and you think about some of the things they went through, you know, they knew they were they were. It's a lot of hardships, but they didn't, you know, they didn't answer to those names. And and something that I want to talk about is you know derogatory terms. I know that's something that's big in the in the culture, um, in the community, and I just kind of want to hear your feedback on that you know the wetbacks and all this other stuff and just getting generalized into one category the frustration level it has to be from you know from a Hispanic and how um, the lack of sensitivity that's in this country as well when it comes to things like that
4: it's I I don't feel really strongly when the bean or wetback shrug off your shoulders but you tell my grandpa <laughs> you tell my dad it's it's a different story and it matters you can't put those terms on people and expect them to take the way i take it and laugh it off because it is a very serious uh, discussion to have because these derogatory terms exist primarily to put people down to put themselves on a pedestal and say hey you know you're a beaner you're a, uh, you're a wetback and i'm better than you and that's really the whole basis of derogatory terms and that's where you get into tricky situations where you start seeing Hispanics as lesser people and then that leads to immigration, at least everything we've already talked about um, and it precipitates everything else.
3: I think derogatory terms just need to be stop, stop being used in general in every community. It's just, it's not acceptable anymore. You just can't call people things like that. You can't be one, you can't one-up someone like that. It's like Kiesem said, it's just like, it's like there's a superior kind of thing when someone calls uh, one of my family members a wetback or a beaner or anything like that. It just automatic, automatically puts you in a down stance, you know, And any kind of term that's, t- any term, like in the LGBTQIA community, in the black community, in all communities. You just stop using those words, guys. Like, it's just, it's it's ridiculous, you know. Call people for who they are. Call them their name. That's who they are.
1: Exactly. Yeah, even people who say, you know, as a joke, like, oh, you know, that's okay, or, oh, you know, they use the n-word as a joke, or, you know, oh, you're just a wetback, ha-ha, like, you know, you think it's funny, because you may be so removed from it that you don't see the, the pain that it causes people, but it's there, and even when we keep calling people as jokes, it's not a joke, you know what I mean? Like, that was there for a reason, and that was there negatively and although it may have lost that because the generations you know have grown it's still it's a pretty negative and when <laughs> even when Otis said went back I cringe just because I'm not used to hearing that you know in our generation and people still use it and you know my like I said like I'm half white half Hispanic and my my mother' is white and she's you know so welcoming and and so like loving and she's always tried to promote my culture but my grandparents (laughs) are the exact opposite and you know my grandmother would say like oh those wetbacks haha and i'm just like seriously like do you not even care who i am like do you not even know that i'm half that and that you're you know persisting this horrible stereotype and this horrible negative feeling and people just don't realize they just don't realize and
2: those words carry so much power it's not just like trying to put that person down it goes beyond that there's years of history bechi- behind each word when you throw a word around like that whether it be gay or the n-word or webback or whatever you you're throwing all this huge weight of history mm-hmm. on that person and it hurts not only them but it hurts people that live before them and that are going to live after them like we need to stop using and making fun of history and tragedy in such a simple non you know caring way i think it just needs people need to be educated on what each word where it comes from what it really means and what it's what does it really stand for you know and i just don't think we're there yet it's going to take a couple more years before everyone really understands what that means and i mean unfortunately we're trying to eradicate it but it's just not going to happen
1: And the thing is that I can't think of a similar negative word for any kind of European descent, Caucasian person. Like the worst thing I might think of is, oh, you dumb blonde. Okay, (laughs) but what kind of a that that doesn't carry the same impact at all. And I just I mean, that just further illustrates like the struggle, I guess, or just the hardships that, you know, the minorities have have gone through.
0: It's definitely an interesting topic, not just in. The Hispanic community, but the mm-hmm. Black community, and the LGBTQI+ community, uh, you know, because I, I'm the first to tell everybody, I am, I am guilty of using the N word. I mean, in the black community, I am. The, I tell everybody. I, I use it with my friends and stuff. But the excuse that I always use is, well, you know, I'm with my boys. I'm playing around, or I'm with my friends, or whatever. But I think sometimes we fail to realize that how much power is in that word. And you guys feel that it's a generational thing. That it's just now it's accept because it's accepted it within the communities. That that's why now outwardly we're like, oh, you know what? It's been so long. It's actually good now. It's not bad anymore. It's it's actually good now. You know, so that's... uh, You guys feel like it's a generational thing, and that's how, you know, the thought process is now. You know
2: how people say that time heals all wounds? Well, there are some wounds that you cannot heal even after thousands of years, you know?
0: And there's some wounds
1: you shouldn't heal. I don't think anybody should make certain words okay. Mm -mm.
2: And I I just think we need to learn that as... It doesn't matter if we... Like, maybe our kids or the kids of our kids will never know the struggle of being you know dealing with immigration or dealing with uh, civil rights like issues but we have to be able to like show them and teach them that this is where you come from this is what this means and respect it because it's not a
3: joke i know my parents definitely taught me that they raised me on never using any kind of derogatory word it's always um we're all the same we are all people we all have the same feelings we all have the same ideals the same values same morals um Uh, They've never once taught me a derogatory term. And if they ever heard me saying anything like that, you know, like the generational, our generation, when growing up, I would hear, you know, my friends say different things. And then I would repeat it, of course, going home. And they would tell me right away, don't say that. That's even if your friends think it's cool or whoever thinks it's cool, don't say that. So I'm definitely going to do that with my kids. I'm going to let them know that's something that. You may think it's cool. You may think it's funny with your friends, but it's not It's not going to be tolerated in this house just so I can at least start somewhere to put it in the kids' minds and, and the next generation's minds that these words really meant something really harmful and hurtful to other people.
4: To change a mindset, uh, my urban sociology professor, he puts it that we really came a long way from the 50s, the 40s, the 30s, the 60s, you start seeing suburban neighborhoods with uh, more diversity. Uh, you see suburban neighborhoods with black people, white people, Hispanics, and kids hanging out. And if you get that kind of culture with kids playing, and kids are probably the most pure people from like age three to nine it, around there until they get inculcated with the social with the social norms, or you know they start until you get social to social junior media. high. And <laughs> yeah, everything goes yeah then everything goes bad <laughs> downhill. So in that time period, if they start to realize that. They don't. They kind of look beyond color. They look beyond race. That's really where the generational shift that we're talking about will take place. Uh, their kids and their kids and their kids after. It's a long process, and it's funny to me that this takes a long time. Because if you look at it, why can't we just be good humans from the get go? But that's not how it works. Uh, you start in the 1900s, start to 1960s, and people just drink out of different water fountains. Like we can't, we couldn't get past that for a long time. We finally did, and now you're looking at it. it's like, okay, we're making improvements, but it's a, the longest process in probably human history, and dates back to the Egyptians. Dates back to just people in general like to be better than others. They like to empower them and say, you know, hey, I'm better than you because you're doing that for me or make this pyramid because that's I'm the I'm the pharaoh and it it's just 2000 years now, 2014. We've come full circle. We're at a point where hey, we're in the right direction. Uh we're not there yet, but we will be
0: some powerful powerful stuff you guys are talking about and you guys are definitely hitting home with with uh immigration and the stigma and then you know um having leaders instrumental in the community and things like that but before uh, we get out you guys got any uh final thoughts before we get out get off the show
3: um just that you know to not forget about us we're, we're here we're hispanics and we love it we love being hispanics at least i know i do and um I'm proud to be a Hispanic. I'm proud to have a culture. I'm proud to have all that in the background and uh, that I think our, as a community, as a Hispanic community, we need to step up a little bit more and fight for ourselves.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think it's, it's important to make ourselves visible. We need to stop hiding. We need to stop, you know, being afraid of the fight, being afraid of showing that we are able to rule the world if we really wish to. I mean, we might like nicole said we might be starting locally with small little papers in society but i think it's it's gonna get to the point where it's just not gonna even be a question of where you are from and i'm really proud and you know honored to be part of such an amazing like culture full of flavor life and just exciting stuff and i'll never stop being proud of that
4: it's i don't think about it enough and now this podcast kind of opens my eyes that hey you know i forget that I'm Hispanic and talking about this really reinvigorates the passion that I have and the the whole that I am proud of being Hispanic the whole uh everything and it's pretty awesome you know you're in that situation where you're Hispanic and there's a lot of value and it's cool to talk about this with other people that understand and having this opportunity has really put me in a good a good position for sure
1: yeah I mean I agree with everything that you guys have said and um Just for those maybe that don't, you know, don't have our perspective, don't have the Hispanic perspective, just remember that everyone in America, we're all immigrants, and we're all a melting pot, and, you know, we just need to accept one another and have a little compassion for each other.
0: Yeah, we're having a little chuckle here because, you know, Kisa said, I forgot that sometimes I am Hispanic. And it, no, it is. It, <laughs> it's, it's true, funny, though. I mean, but it's true.
1: It happens. And
0: it never fails. I've done the black perspective. I've done the LGBTQIA perspective. I've done the feminist perspective. And I've done the um, Hispanic perspective now. And every single time we're in one, someone's saying, man, I've learned something new. Mm-hmm. So just imagine if you're in that culture and the community yourself Imagine what other people are learning. Imagine what other people are starting to figure out. Imagine the level of sensitivity that some people are going to have now and say, you know what? That was bad on my part. I shouldn't have generalized. I shouldn't have stereotyped. I shouldn't have put a label on that certain type of community. So... It's really interesting because that's, that's the point is people on the panel learn something and then you know somebody else is learning uh, something new uh, when they listen. Um, if you have any questions or any comments for us, leave it on our website, universitystar.com. Uh, if you want to tweet at us at universitystar using the hashtag C of culture, the letter C, not S-E-A, just the letter C. I'm looking forward to those um, as usual. For Nicole Barrios, Keeson Ramirez, Ernest Macias, and Olivia Garcia see ya. I am Otis Girl and like I always tell you guys, we'll see you next time. Bye.